Welcome to New City's Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you joined us as we root deep in God's Word. We're currently in a series on the Apostles' Creed, and this week we're looking at the phrase, I believe in the resurrection of the body. And we're going to unpack that as we join it with 1 Corinthians 15. So let me read that text to you now, starting with verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Skip down to verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. But just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Skip down to verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power. Verse 48. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Verse 53. For this incorruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this incorruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's get into the word. Are you a hopeful person? Are you someone that leans into hope? Would people around you define you as someone who is full of hope? It's kind of hard to say. It makes us wrestle and really wonder Um, are we hopeful people? Now, if you're not yet a Christian, I I, want to explain what I mean by that, because hope gets very confused in our culture. And I want to explain what I mean by that by talking about the 1972 Dolphins. Um, If you know the 1972 Dolphins, you know that that is the perfect football team. They went 17-0 and won the Super Bowl, and they blazed through everyone. They had no losses. Now, I was born after the 72 Dolphins. I was born a few years later, but I always heard about the Dolphins. In fact, my eighth grade teacher in the early 90s, he just had a hat that said 17 and 0. And, um, and like we all knew what that meant because we had grown up in South Florida. But, it, but it's interesting when, when, when things would go bad for the Dolphins in the late 80s or early 90s, which they wouldn't always go bad, but we would, we would never quite make it to where we thought we could. Um, this is what happened. People would always go, well, at least we went undefeated in 1972. 
you know, like, I'm like, well, okay, it's, it's 20 years later now, right? It's 1992, and we're still talking about this. And as we look back at 1972 and what the Dolphins did, it was amazing, right? It's something to hold on to that I'm not sure if any other professional sports team has done. Um, but looking back on what the Dolphins had accomplished wasn't really hope. It was more nostalgia. And I think sometimes in our culture, we get confused between hope and nostalgia. Like we hold on to something that was and is no longer. We look backwards rather than forwards. And hope doesn't necessarily look back. It more looks to the future. Another way that we get confused when it comes to hope is we think that it means being a positive person. One pastor said that we kind of function as if hope is wishing for adults, right? Like, I hope it works out, or I hope my life gets better, or hope it's not as bad as you think it is. It's kind of wishful thinking. And while hope is not looking back in nostalgia, it's also not wishful looking towards the future. Christian hope is much more about knowing something that's certain as we look to the future. And so when the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in the resurrection of the body, the Christian faith is making a very bold claim that should make all of us hopeful on some level. Jesus died for our sins 2,000 years ago. He was killed and he was put on a cross and he was put in a tomb and his body lay there for three days. But after three days, by the power of God, he came back to life, defeating sin and death and the devil. He rose from the dead. And hundreds and hundreds of people witnessed him walking around as a resurrected human being. Not a myth, but, but a reality. And one day, Jesus has promised that he will return. And if you know him, he will raise you from the dead by the power of God, just like he himself has been raised from the dead. And when that begins to click in your life, it makes you always at least have a glimmer of hope, if not more. If not, you kind of can't help have some hope that's deeper in your heart. If not even more, you actually become a hopeful person. You become a hopeful person. The, the question I want to look at tonight as we talk about hope is, so how do you get it to click? Like, how do you get it so that it gets deeper in your mind and your heart, so, so that it becomes a reality to you? Because I struggle sometimes to let it get deeper into my life. So three things I want to talk about tonight as we talk about I believe in the resurrection of the body and as we talk about hope. There's three things I want to talk about. One is rewriting your story. The second is reframing your identity. And the third is recentering your hope, recentering your hope. Let's start off with rewriting your story. One of the ways to get the, the hope of the resurrection to click in your mind and your heart, to actually see its power in your life, is to begin rewriting your story in God's story. Now, in our culture, everyone is about writing their own story. And the controlling principles about everyone's story is happiness and freedom. In fact, it's 4th of July this weekend, and we celebrate in our founding document that we're supposed to be free and we have the right to pursue happiness. But, but for the Christian, that is not our highest calling. 
That's not what our story is all about. But our culture has bought into this idea that everything is about freedom and everything is about happiness. So buy what makes you happy and do whatever makes you feel free. And the promises of our culture are so embedded in our, in just the way that we think about life that we tend to think about our stories along the lines of what makes me more free or what makes me more happy. But even as we think about our lives against the backdrop of the story of freedom and the story of happiness, there's a huge gaping hole. And that gaping hole is death. What does freedom and happiness have to say about death? Now, if you didn't know this, I hate to break it to you, but all of you are gonna die. Me too. I just cleared out the church. No one's coming back next week. But, but here's the thing. As we look at these things that we pursue in our lives, death is this thing that we kind of can't get around. We don't really know what to do with our stories when our stories are about happiness and our stories are about freedom because death isn't very happy and death is the opposite of freedom. And so even as we talk about happiness and freedom, we tend to just ignore the reality of death. Let's not talk about it. But that's where God's story is so different. In the midst of a culture that tries to write its story against the backdrop of freedom and against the backdrop of happiness and avoid death, God's story looks directly at death. It looks death in the eyes and says, you will not win. That may be the end for every human being, but it is not the end of God's story for every human being. In verse 22 and 23, the author says, for just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. For each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Do you belong to Christ? If you're his, death is not the end of your story. Amen. Praise God that you and I, who know Jesus Christ can look at the end of our lives and say, someday we will die, but that's not the end for me and that's not the end for you. In Christ, death is not the end of God's story. Which is great news because uh, my body peaked several decades ago. Most of our bodies peak between 18 and 28. Phil and I used to play water polo together and we were in a lot better shape back then. But once you get into your 30s, your metabolism slows down. You start to ache in places you didn't know you can ache. Sometimes disease sets in, but we are reminded that these bodies, though they are breaking down, it is not the end. It's not the end of our bodies in God's story. In verse 42 and 43, Paul says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, but raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, but raised in glory, sown in weakness, but raised in power. How many of you ever feel like your body has been corrupted or it is weak? There is a day coming when that will no longer be the way you define your body. Rather, it will be incorruptible. It will be glorious. It will be powerful. Because as Stuart Rook says, our bodies are eternal realities. 
our bodies do not end at death. Yes, they go in the ground, but that is not the end of the story. Jesus will one day come and raise your body from the grave and you will be a physical human being for eternity. Now, one of the reasons we don't really let that get in our story and in our mind that we, we choose happiness and freedom over the resurrection as a defining characteristic of our story is because we don't know what to do with that. So I, I like rise from the dead and then we're floating around. What, what is it? What is it like? Well, the reality is that we won't be floating. We'll be physical human beings. You will be the most totally alive version of yourself more alive than you can ever imagine. You will be you, but you will be a completely healed you. And for us, it's hard to even imagine what that's like. When we moved down here to plant the church, as we were moving down, we were packing up our house in St. Louis. My wife looked at me and Virginia said to me, my leg hurts. And when she said my leg hurts, that was the beginning of a two-year journey where we couldn't figure out what was going on, but she was in constant chronic pain. After about a year and a half, we found out that she had a tumor that was attached to a nerve, which is why her leg hurt. Every, every moment of every day, this, this benign can, non-cancerous tumor was, was hurting her nerve. And so everything was tainted by the reality of her pain. It was a really hard season of parenting because she was always in pain. It was a really hard season of marriage because she was always in pain. And after we figured out what it was, it took another six months before there were, the, the tumor was ready to be operated on. So for two years, she was just in pain. And, and then finally, we go to the University of Miami and she gets the surgery and the doctor calls me in and my wife wakes up from the anesthesia and I, she said something to the ends of, it's all better now. I was like, wait, what? It's all better now? Like, it's, it's just better? You're just healed? We had all the memories of what had happened over the past two years, but the pain was gone. She had been completely healed. And I think there's a picture for us of what it will be like in God's story when your body is resurrected. Yes, the pain is a reality. Yes, the trauma is a reality. Yes, the heartbreak is a reality, but one day it will not be a reality anymore. You will be all better. You will be all better. In God's story, resurrection and healing is your destiny. Healing not just physically, but emotionally, psychologically, totally. You will be totally healed when Christ returns and resurrects your body. And that is a story that if you write your story in that story, it will give you hope. Rewrite your story in God's story, but secondly, reframe your identity in new creation. Verse 48 and 49 says, like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. Paul is poetically saying, like Adam, we are all going to die. But like Jesus, who is from heaven, we will all be resurrected physically, but we will also have the ways of heaven born in us to resurrect our soul. 
one of the challenges for us in getting hope to click in our hearts is that we don't form our identity around being part of what Jesus has done. We tend to, again, listen to what our culture has to say. Our cultures, one of our culture's highest values is what we would say self-creation or expressive individualism. Um, be yourself, find your identity, be true to yourself, be authentic, and then show the world who you really are. Now, some of us are just like, wait, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Well, okay. In that though, there are some things that are broken that we have not really looked at as a culture. Uh, Tara Isabella Burton says this, our culture functions as we are most, as if we are most real when we present ourselves to the world as the people we most want to become. Our honest selves are the ones we choose and create. We can no longer tell where reality ends and fantasy begins. Self-creation, in other words, is where artificiality and authenticity meet. Our obsession with self-creation is also an obsession with the idea that we have the power that we once believed God did to remake ourselves and our realities, not in the image of God, but in that of our own desires. God's agenda for you, who you actually are, is that you are being remade even now in the image of Christ. One day your body will be remade, but right now who you are is you are someone who God has committed to make more like his son, to recreate you in the image of Jesus. But so often we don't understand that because we are so focused on our culture's message of self-creation. Be authentic, be true to yourself. Find your identity however you want to find it. And maybe there's something good about that. Maybe there's something beautiful about being an individual because God has made us as individuals. But I think sometimes we miss the whole new creation that God wants in us because we're so focused on the self-creation and expressive individualism of our culture. And what Tara Isabella Burton is getting at is one of the holes in this idea of self-creation is there's a fine line between artificiality and authenticity. There's a challenge in telling where reality ends and fantasy begins. When you try and make yourself how you want to be, how do you know if that's who you really are? And yet the glory of being part of God's new creation is he is committed to make you absolutely like his son. What if we began to reframe our identity? And I'm not saying don't think of yourself as an individual and don't think about the things, the ways you want to express yourself. But what if you started to think more about what God is committed to doing in your life? What if you started thinking more about your identity as one who gets to bear the fruit of the spirit? What if you thought about your identity more as, as someone who is being made like Jesus Christ. Even as you read the stories of Jesus and what he did and how he was kind and how he was joyful and how he loved and how he hoped, God is creating that in you. Maybe expressing yourself would just become a little less important if you've reframed your identity around what God has committed to do in you. And there's an incredible freedom there we're just as we did when we, when we confessed our sin, we can say, I'm completely broken, but I'm being made beautiful because Jesus and his new life is being made in me. 
Some of the things I've done are shameful, but my sin is paid for and it no longer defines me. God sees me not as I fantasize about being or as I pretend to be, but he sees me for who I really am and he loves me and he calls me son. He is committed to make me new, both soul and body. He is recreating both. What if we reframed, reframed our identity in that story of new creation? What if we saw who we were based on who God says we were in Christ, rather than just getting to express ourselves in the world? Well, I think the hope would begin to click. We would begin to recenter our deepest hope on our risen King Jesus. In verse 54 and 50 through 57, Paul ends by saying, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin in the law is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, see, recentering our hope on Jesus takes us way bigger than, I hope my life gets a little bit better. Because when our hope is in the risen King Jesus, who has defeated sin and death and the devil, we start to see the big picture that Jesus will return one day and he will banish all evil and all darkness forever. And with him, he will bring a new heavens and a new earth, and he will make all things new. And it will be a day when you no longer have aches and pains in your body. You will no longer have holes in your heart. You will no longer have heartache in your soul. But not only that, there's gonna be no more lawsuits. There, there will be no more surgeries. There will be no more barbed wire keeping people out. No more barbed wire trapping people in. Everything will be made new by Jesus. I don't know if the grave will still be here when Jesus comes, but I do know this. If there are graves, you and I will dance on each other's empty graves. When Christ returns, he will make all things new. You and I will dance on each other's graves because everything will be under the control and authority and renewal of our King. And his name is Jesus. And when you begin to look forward to what he's going to do, you can't help but have a glimmer of hope no matter how bad it gets. You can't help but let hope seep into your heart, even in the midst of evil, even in the midst of injustice, even in the midst of things going deadly wrong. Not only that, you might just become a person who is known by others as being quite hopeful because of what Jesus has done. Let me pray. Thanks for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church, check us out online at www.newcityhh.com or search New City HH on any social media platform. We'll see you next week.